All right, Genesis chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Sister McDaniel, would you read that for us? New Living Translation. The serpent was the surest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? All right. Now read that verse one more time from your translation. The serpent was the surest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. Hold on. The serpent was the what? Shoot. Spell that. S H R E W D E S T. S. Shrewdest. All right. The shrewdest. All right. Go ahead and read that verse again. Okay. The serpent was the shrewdest. Correct. Of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the food from any of the trees in the garden? Amen. Anyone have New Living Translation? Yes, <coughs> <coughs> New, New Living, I mean. NIV. Anybody have NIV? NIV says. Now the, now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? All right. Um, King James or New King James? King James or New King James? King James. All right, read your translation. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made, had made. And he said unto the unto the woman, Ye, yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? All right, amen. Okay, in review, chapter 3. Tells the story of the what? The fall of man. Chapter 2 gives us the story of what did we, what did we focus on on chapter 2? Um, the creation before the fall. Okay, the creation before the fall so, specifically, chapter 1 starts off with the creation. Chapter 2 goes into the creation more, but also brings out relationship mm -hmm. between man and woman. Mm -hmm. We also got a chance to see what man's purpose was in the earth mm -hmm. before even God created woman for him. Right? right? right. Now we're here at chapter 3, and it is the story of the fall. The fall of man. But looking at chapter 3. In that first verse. Who is the most prominent. Character in that verse. The serpent. It starts off saying now the serpent. Was more cunning. Than any other beast. Of the field. Which the Lord God had made. First question. Where did this serpent come from? God. Because in this text it clearly says that the Lord God had made. Now it's interesting the words that the writer uses <coughs> whom we <coughs> note as Moses. 
who doesn't just say Yahweh or doesn't just say Jehovah or just doesn't say Elohim, but he says the Lord God. The Lord God has the meaning behind it of the covenant God, a God who makes agreement. So as we begin to look at the fall of man, the writer allows us to see that the God who made this beast is a God of agreement, a God of covenant. And so one of the things we must realize is that God had made a covenant with Adam. Does anybody know what that covenant is? We've studied it before, but it's been a while. What is the covenant? Covenant being an agreement between God and... A covenant is not necessarily a promise, but it comes with promise. Right. It's kind of like... And so, in this particular case... It's, 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 it's not necessarily what the man is going to do for God, but what God is doing for the man. Is it when he promised that he would crush the serpent's head? Ah, now that's later. But in the garden, God said, there you go. That too. But he says, in the agreement, he said, from, from, that's right. But, no. No, he said, don't eat from the tree of evil. And Not necessarily call a tree of evil. evil. Not evil, but he said, don't eat from the tree. Uh-huh. Any, any, any tree, uh, tree in the middle. That's right. Any tree yeah. in there, right. except that, that one that middle. One tree. And if he ate from it, what would happen? Uh, even greater than that. What does it say? He says, surely die. God being a covenant God. Established covenant with Adam. That if you obey my commandment. To not eat of this tree which is in the midst. You freely have. Rain over everything else. You can eat of any other tree. But there's just that one. Mm -hmm. So it's like pretty much you, if you obey God, you pretty much like have, you know, like anything. I mean, you pretty much prosper. I mean, you know, of course he does and promises no hard times and stuff like that, but you pretty much live a prosperous life. That's right. And the word of God also says in Psalms, it said, he that delighteth in the law of the Lord shall, that's right, of his heart. But here in this text, it opens up with the serpent. The serpent being one who does not have Adam nor Eve's good in mind. Am I right about it? He was put there by God. He's not good, but he's there for a good purpose. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 50 around verse 20 
Do you remember where Joseph was talking to his brothers? After his brothers had realized that he had not been killed. And he was now the prime minister of Egypt. The place where he would be the one who would feed his brothers and his family. What was the words that he said to them? Look at, look at 50 and 20 of Genesis. But as for you, you thought evil against me. Oh, was I turn for the good, that one? That's one. Yeah. Now, now we stop a lot of times right there in that text. We stop where, and we basically paraphrase and say, well, you know, God meant it, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. But finish 20. Finish it, BJ. But, but after you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass. As it is this day to save much people alive. Ah. To bring to pass. God allowed Joseph to be mistreated <coughs> and potentially killed, even though the Lord's hand was on him, by his brothers, so that not only would he be saved, but also many. Now, now, let's look back at the text where we are. Who put the serpent here in the garden? God. But the serpent isn't any good. But he's being used for a good purpose. Just as Joseph's brothers were being used. And so now we start to look at this text in light of a serpent who's there and has no good in him, but the sovereign God that we serve is using him for the good of an entire generation. And I'm not just talking about his children or his children's children, but all that would ever be born. But before I go any further than that, who has God put in each one of our lives? Who really ain't much good for nothing. <laughs> and we haven't even thought about that they are for our good. We got folks in our lives that irritate us, mistreat us, lie on us, try to backbite us, try to, to, to cause us pain. And there's nothing good about what they're doing to us. But the result of what they're doing is good for us. Why? Because it's, it's, I think it would be because it would be beneficial because it's teaching us how to be a better Christian and how to deal, go to God and deal with certain situations. Ah, okay. Put some more meat on them bones. <laughs> Put it. Take a take a scenario, see. For me, um, speaking personally, um, me and my father don't have the best relationship. But right. as I've tried tried to grow in the word, I know that in order for me to grow, I have to forgive. And so um, when I deal with him, I just pray that God allows me to forgive him and not keep my heart hardened. Amen. Because what we are held accountable. That's right. We are held accountable for our actions, but we're not held accountable 
for somebody else's actions. But in the midst of that, because I got a similar situation, not with my father, but with someone else in my family that I've had to deal with over the past 30 years of looking at a situation for a long time, I saw it a different way than where you've come to and I've come to now. I used to look at that person and always be upset. Every time I thought about them, I didn't want to see them, I didn't want to deal with them until the word of God spoke to me to let me know that those people in my life and in your life and in all of our lives who have hurt us deeply are there to allow us to go to God. Because what happens is our response to it in light of the word shows us where we have fallen short. Because the word of God doesn't tell us to hold, hold evil thoughts against anyone. It doesn't tell us to look for ways to get back, but to forgive. And we've talked about this in previous classes, that this forgiveness is not an easy thing. But it's necessary. And even though it's a bad thing, when somebody lies and doesn't keep their promises in your life, or mistreats you, or leaves you, or forsakes you, God is still working through you, everyone who loves the Lord. And are called according to his purpose. And that's the thing we must not forget. Is that God's purpose transcends our situations. Every situation we go through. There's a bigger picture here. And so as we get more into the word. We find that we have to deal with each situation. In light of the bigger picture. But the only way we get the bigger picture. Is by maturing in his word. And so in this story, we've got a situation that's unfolding where we've got a serpent that ain't good for nothing but evil that is now dealing with those who God loves. Now dealing with his children, with his creation. And so now when we look here in verse 1, what is the first thing that the serpent says to the woman? So the serpent starts with a challenge. As we review from last time, he is challenging her what? What is he challenging? He's challenging God's word, but he's challenging her what? Her he's trying to make her second her guess. Face. Yeah. Her, her, um, her strength. No. Or her, uh, it's a little simpler than that. Not yet. Not yet. Her knowledge. Look, look what he's seeing. He's asking her. Did he really say? Did he really say what? That you should not eat of every tree of the garden. Did he really say that? He's testing. That's exactly right. He's testing her knowledge so he can find a breach in her knowledge so that he can 
try to insert doubt. Right? Now, Satan and this serpent are synonymous. This text opens up and sets the warning in place that he's more cunning than any other beast in the field. That includes not only the animals, but also the people. God has put an enemy of Adam and Eve who is more shrewd, more cunning than they are for the purpose of showing them what? From what we've already discussed. When we deal with somebody in our lives who hurt us, who've done things to us that cause us to be hurt deeply, our responses to those things and how we respond, most of the time the Lord is showing us how we have fallen short of his standard. So here we got someone who is, who is more cunning and more shrewd than anyone in this garden. And they, this, this serpent is going up against this woman. First, he's subtly asking her, what she knows. Next, what does he do? Verse 2 says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse 3, But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Where did this tree come from? God put it there. Have you ever thought or ever wondered in the midst of the Garden of Eden and all its perfection, God would in the middle of this garden put a tree that is forbidden for his man and his woman to touch, to eat of. Have you ever wondered about that? Anybody? Sister Dudley, have you wondered about Yeah. I mean, at this time, right, everything's perfect, right? Adam's, Adam hasn't sinned, hasn't done wrong. Eve hasn't done anything wrong. But during the creation of the Garden of Eden, he put this tree in the midst of the garden. And he put a serpent in the garden who was more cunning and more shrewd than anybody else there. What is God up to here? Ah, he's testing them. And he's got a perfect setup, doesn't he? For the test. And he's testing them to see whether or not they will. See if they fail. To see if they're going to fall. I was going to say fall. Obey. Obey. They, that they were seeing, they would disobey. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But God. Testing their faith. All right. Okay. Testing their faith. 
testing their obedience. See if they're going to go against what he told them not to do. See if that's right. Now, now watch this. We know from biblical doctrine that the Lord God is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. The third one, omniscient, means what? Every, the, um, omnipresent, he's everywhere. Oh, okay. All knowing. I said that. Did you say that? I heard somebody say present. Oh, I said that. Your third one, your yeah. omniscient. You said that? Yeah. Amen. All right, sir. <laughs> I heard somebody else at the same time, and I got this <laughs> Amen. So, Sister McDaniel, he knows everything. Knowing everything, is there anything on the other side of everything? So, did he know what they were going to do before yeah. they did it? Of course. Surely he did. He already knew. So, he wasn't just testing them so he could see what they would do, because he already knew. knew. All right. Let's continue. Verse 4. <coughs> Sister Dudley, verse 4 and verse 5. Uh, I have the New English uh, translation. Um, the serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will open and you will be like divine beings who know good and evil. Ah. Here we go. Now he didn't ask the question, Sister Dunn, about what she knows. She has then told him what she knows. Right. And then he comes back and does what? He kind of was, he asked her the same question, but she already knew that the Lord had told her. He if said he from this tree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. You're going to die. You're going to die. And then he comes come back, back and says, No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. That, ain't, that ain't how it, no, 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 that's not why he's saying that because you're not going to die. God gonna show you something else. Yeah, they're how you that you ain't never seen, seen before. before. The Bible says to us, "Come out from among them. them. That's right. Be ye separate." That's right. And what do we do? Go among them and be right <laughs> in their midst like and be just like them. Why? Why do we do that? Why do we? Why do we go where we know the Lord is really forbidding us to go? Why do we do that? We're just like her, even though we know. But we're like, eh, you know, you're going to try it anyway. I mean, that's pretty much. She knew what the Lord had told her. But things can be twisted and make it seem kind of like it's really not bad. You know, it's I got something else greater or something else. You know, just like he was saying, your eyes going to open, you're going to see more, you know. Uh -huh. You're not going to die, but I'm going to show you something else. And that's yeah. really how the devil, you know, does. I mean, when we keep going toward things, we know that it's always something new. Seems it's like all, something uh -huh. new. and something exciting, something scintillating mm -hmm. to our flesh. That's right. What happens is we know, as believers, we know the word. We know enough about the word to know what we should and should not I be do. doing. But we do it because 
we are tempted mm-hmm. and we fall into temptation right. by what? Our flesh. flesh. As we read in James chapter 1. So what happens is there's a part of us that continues to always want that which is forbidden. So now there's one who's more cunning than any beast of the field is testing that very thing. And whatever, he has found her weakness and he's exploiting it. And he hasn't changed. Today he has not changed. He is a master observer. He is a master of analyzing and watching each and every one of us using whatever beings he needs to use that's in his arsenal, is in his army, for the purpose of finding your weaknesses. Most importantly, the one that he can use with the most leverage to destroy you. He's not going to play around with you. He's trying to destroy you. And here's where he is with Eve. What is it that he's trying to exploit in Eve? Look at that. Look at that that text close. What does he say in verse 5? What is he trying to exploit? Ah. So if she if he's trying to tell her that she's going to be like God, knowing good and evil, what is it that he's trying to, what weakness does she have that he's trying to exploit? Her ego. Her ah, her ego. And another thing that's tied to ego. Her mind. What was it? Her mind. Her mind. No, not quite. Mine is tied to ego, but there's something else. Ego? No. No. What's the, say it again. Okay, we just said he's exploiting the ego. Now, what sin? Pride. Her pride. He is going for her pride. And he's found a way in. By coming and saying that, well, you know, the Lord is just trying to keep you down. Now, how many times is that played against us? A lot, isn't it? Well, the reason why you ain't such and such and such and such here or such and such there in your job or in a a club you're in or in some kind of membership or in the church it's because somebody's trying to keep you down. And so all the time, the devil is working undercover to convince you to get out of your place. To move out of where you should be covenant-wise, where you should be, and go to where you shouldn't be. So that you can have a great, no, a great fall off of your ego, but have a great fall. I can't tell you how many times that I've seen the devil set folks up 
but it's great fault. There are plenty of people that are not at this church today after one of them great falls. There have been people who have been convinced by the devil through other people and maybe in their minds alone to try to be somewhere that they shouldn't be. Getting there and then falling in such embarrassment that they leave the church. We have to be careful of our pride because pride does come before a fake great fall. I mean, there's people in the choirs, on the usher board, in the congregation, preachers, all have tried to be somewhere else when Satan has convinced them that somebody else is trying to keep them down. Rushed too fast to that spot, tripped and fell, and in such humiliation and embarrassment, have left the church. I've seen people who were effective in places where they were trying to rush to a place where they weren't ready for, get there, in a leadership position, get there, make a mistake, get, get embarrassed, and then now are just sitting in the congregation. In this church. And they're sitting in the congregation now. And it's been a lot of years. And they have never recovered from where they were. Pride and Satan's use of our pride can take someone who's on the way to a great ministry and shut them down before they can even get started. Sometimes the answer is, yeah, you are supposed to be certain places, but nobody's holding you down. The Lord is just working with you and is preparing you for that time. Because sometimes we think we're ready for something and we're not ready yet. We feel down in us we're ready, but we ain't ready at all. Yes, we do. I mean, nobody could tell us this. And look, there are, there are a few things in my life in ministry right today that I was presented with opportunities over eight years ago. And I thought I was ready. But you know, hindsight's 2020. And now since the disappointment of not getting to where I thought I was ready has passed, and now I can see clearer looking back, I wasn't near about ready. I wasn't close to being ready. And I thought I was. But that is the trick of the flesh. The flesh is deceiving. And we deceive ourselves by allowing our whole body or our being to fall into what the flesh desires. So here now is a decision point for Eve. She knows the word. She has articulated it to the devil. The devil has challenged it and has given her a reason why he's holding her down. The Lord is holding her down, right? 
Now it's up to her to make the right decision. Now, anywhere in this text, do we see whether the Satan is holding a gun to her head, is holding a knife to her throat, is threatening to open her mouth and poison her, to do anything that the Lord said not to do? No. He's just using the words that he believes she wants to hear. Sister Morris, read verse 6. I'm reading from the NIV version. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for, for, was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate, and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Now... Sister Morris, look at that text real slowly. Start reading slowly the beginning of verse 6. When the woman saw. Stop right there. When the woman, what? Saw. She saw it how? With her eyes. With her eyes. Sight is one of. And it's one of your. Senses. It's one of your senses that you use to see the physical world around you. She saw, and she saw that the tree was what? Good for food. So that it wasn't poisonous, that it was edible. And desirable. Now, watch this. Now, it's looking real good, right? That it was pleasant to the eyes. It wasn't just something that she could eat and wasn't poisonous, but it was pleasant to the eyes. Yeah, it even looked like it was going to taste good. When it became pleasant to her eyes and a tree, what? A tree, what? What's the name? To be desired. To be desired. For gaining wisdom. To be to gain to be desired to make one wise. New living, what you would say? I'm six. Mm-hmm. A tree that's what? After it's pleasant to the eyes, what did you say next? Our tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Ah, I like that too. Desirable is to be desired to make one wise. Where did that come from? Do you think on that tree it said, make you wise? (laughs) Think that was on the tree? So, was it just her looking at that tree? It said, make you wise. Is that how? That's right. She was replaying that. She was replaying what he said to her, which was from a lie from the beginning. But what did she replay? She started to dwell on what he said. Ah ha ha! That's it right there. He 
she started to dwell on what? What he said. But in her mind, she had just gave him what she knew about the word. Did she dwell on that? So she started That's right. Because she dwelled on what Satan said and not what God said. How many times before we get ourselves in one of these situations, which Ajax can't get off, is it because we dwell not that what God said, but what we had received into our mind as a seed of suggestion? And what did we do? We just, that's right. And we started to dwell on it. Sometimes it even grows. It, the fantasy comes out of this thing, which is, which is anti-God, which is anti the word of God. But we have in our minds not dwelled on the word of God, but dwelled on that which we desire. That we desire. Even though it's not what we are not do, but it's what we desire. Her pride showed itself in her desire. She had already failed before she ever took the fruit. Because where did the battle? There you go. The battle was fought in her mind and she lost. Because she already substituted God's word with what Satan's suggestion. Nobody put a gun to her hand. Nobody put a knife to her throat. Nobody threatened to put th uh, poison down her throat so she could die. But what? She did it in her own mind. Things, things are just never, they're never, and I'm just now in the last couple of months starting to learn that. Things are never as they appear. And I mean never as they appear. They just, and if we, if we try to focus on that, right there we can start dealing with that battle. All right. Before it even comes upon us, because we're gonna dwell. That's right. And, and go the opposite way of God because of what we see. But things are never as they appear. They're never as they appear. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. He is the great deceiver. But the Bible also says that he is the prince of the power. Of the air. He is the prince of this world. Second uh, Corinthians 4 4 says he's the God of this world. It says he's the prince of darkness. Wait a minute. He is the God, little g, of this world? What is, what is God trying to let us know about this one whom we call Satan? He has dominion in this world. And so as Sister Edward says, what is, if he has dominion in this world, he has dominion over the physical things. And so he uses that which we can see to deceive us. Because he was a deceiver from the beginning. And things aren't as it appears. And the thing is, in our bodies we are made up of three pieces, right? We are what first? We, 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 the, the, the human being is, 
That's good. That's a good way to say it. But that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking more for that, but I'm really actually looking from a biblical perspective. We are body, soul, and spirit. Because it is the soul where we get our passions, our emotions, our our ability to connect with the physical world through our body. Before we were saved, before we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. What was dead? Our what? Spirit. Because if our soul was dead, we'd just be on the ground. Because it's our soul that controls our body. It is where our passions, our desires, our thoughts is in the soul. So what happens is before that time, we have no connection with God. Because our connection with God comes through the spirit. So when Jesus, when we ask for forgiveness and ask for the Lord to come into our life, he regenerates us. He makes our dead spirit alive. In Christ, so that now we can connect with God. So what happens is in this war of the spirit against the flesh, our soul makes decisions by where it's going to get the right response for any situation. Are we going to use what we can see through our faculties, through our body, through our senses? Or are we going to listen to what we hear from God? So every time we make a decision, we're, one, looking through the spirit, or we're looking to the flesh. We're looking for the senses. And what's happened here is she's made a decision for what her flesh is. Now, at this point in time, sin has not entered the world. But a battle in her mind has already been lost. Because she's already made the decision to dwell on that which is evil and not that which is good. So now the logical progression goes on is what does she do next? After she's, she, ate. she, she took it and she, she ate, ate it. Now the Bible says that when temptation, when, when we are tempted and we fall into temptation, and temptation has its perfect works, it ends up in sin. Now she's taking the fruit. She's actually acted out on what was on in her mind, taking the fruit and has eaten of it. But the book says... That she did what next? She gave some to her husband. And he ate. Interesting piece of scripture. Also gives light into the power that a woman can have over a man. There wasn't a fight here. There wasn't, there wasn't a fight in here. Right there. Right there. 
scuffle. There wasn't a big argument between her and him about whether or not that he was going to eat or what the Lord said. His mind was totally focused on her. And because he was weak, because of his focus on her, she was able to give to him, and now he's falling. Now, that's power that you have, ladies. And that's right. And you need to use it wisely. <laughs> and that's the honest truth. And the world is letting us see this too. That women and men both have weaknesses. That's right. Oh. <laughs> so here right now, we see a weakness in man that a woman can easily exploit. But as women of God, That's right. you know better than the women of the world. That's right. You know what you got, but you have been given the word so that you use it wisely. Because you can trip your men up and make them fall. Or you can help keep them up and keep them going in the right way. But that's on you. That's a decision for you to make. You have been given that power, that responsibility. My wife can get me to do things that I don't should be doing. And sometimes I do things. And you think about that. And afterward they say, you know, I should have never done that. <laughs> and sometimes it ends up with a big mess. And I'm like, I knew what the Lord had told me. And I did. Not saying, not talking bad about it at all. But these things happen. I don't know if she necessarily meant it. But it just shows the power that she has over me. That I know I heard a still small voice say, do this. And I heard her, and guess what? <laughs> and then we both suffered. See, that's what ends up happening. And this is what's happening in this text. Look what happens. When she gave it to him and he ate, verse 7. Sister Shannon, what's verse 7 say? King James. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Ah! Now, she made the initial decision to go with what she had fantasized in her own mind about the wisdom and greatness that she would have, and this great taste of fruit and beautiful fruit, and how it was going to make her so wise. She gave it to her husband. He ate. Now they're both suffering. Because the text says what, Sister Jenna? The eyes of Those were open. And they knew that they were Have you ever thought about Good Lord Almighty, we're out of time. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to hold my question in. Read your footnotes here. Okay. Have you ever thought about they were naked before? The Bible don't show anything with them having anything on or something magically when they ate, it fell off. But now they know that they're naked. Have you ever thought much about that at all? 
So is it saying like they were stripped from everything, basically, as far as like spiritually? Ah. Now, now, let's think about that for a moment. They knew that they were naked. No more covering. They have been disobedient. No more covering. Before I go any further, because we're getting, we're out of time. Sis, go ahead. Okay. Okay, so my blue note is coming to make Eve think that sin is good, pleasant, and desirable. A knowledge of both good and evil seem harmless to her. People usually choose wrong things because they have become convinced that those things are good, at least for themselves. Our sins do not always appear ugly to us, and the pleasant sins are the hardest to avoid. So prepare yourself for the attractive temptations that may come your way. We cannot always prevent temptation, but there is always a way of escape. Use God's word and God's people to help you stand against it. Notice what Eve did. She looked, she took, she ate, she gave. The battle is often lost at the first look. <coughs> temptation often begins by simply seeing something you want. Are you struggling with temptation because you have not learned that looking is the first step towards sin? You will win over temptation more often if you follow, God, if you follow Paul's advice to run from those things that produce evil thoughts. Last one says, one of the realities of sin is that its effects spread. After each sin, she involved Adam in her wrongdoing. When we do something wrong, often we try to relieve our guilt by involving someone else. Like toxic waste spilled in a river, sin swiftly spreads. Recognize and confess your sin to God before you are tempted to pollute those around you. Amen. Amen. I like that. On the end of her footnote, when Satan decided that he was going to be like God, God mm -hmm. did his sin just affect him? Mm -hmm. What else happened? It affected the world. The world. But in his immediate context, one third of the angels went with him. It just didn't stop with what he did. But we a lot of times think this sin is just, just for me. It's just for me. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I there are so many times I have fooled myself into believing that because nobody else knows and nobody else can see this sin, whether it's right in here, that it doesn't affect anybody else but me. But if I could see clearly. And I could see everything. I would see that that sin has ripple effect. Whether or not you can see it, it does not just affect you alone. It always affects others as well. Well, we're going to stop here and we will continue on next week if the Lord say the same. Amen.